Well, good evening. Take your Bible, if you'd like, and turn to uh, the book of Lamentations. Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 3. And let me read uh, 19 through uh, 25. Lamentations 3, verse 19, remember my affliction and my wandering and the wormwood and the bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and it is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. Tonight we have the wonderful opportunity coming together and hearing from the word of God and then to share together and be encouraged and be encouraged by each other as a family of God as we stop and consider God's faithfulness and God's goodness. And then thank him for who he is uh, again and all the wonderful things that he has done. So I'm going to share just a few thoughts from <clears throat> this portion of Scripture that I've uh, read. It's not going to be a full-on exposition of the text, but just some thoughts for us to kind of hang our, uh, our or focus our mind around so that we can begin to think about how good God has been to us uh, over this past year and always. And then I'm going to stop and give you an opportunity uh, to publicly share what you're thankful for. We want to hear what the Lord's doing in your life and what you're thankful for and so that we might come alongside and rejoice with you. And somebody from the back, Timothy or somebody, is going to bring a microphone to you so that we can hear you. So uh, please use that. And at the end, we have the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper together in the continuance of uh, thanking Him uh, by remembrance of Him. Now, as believers, we should always be a thankful people because thanklessness, thanklessness is really the characteristic of the unbeliever. First, or uh, uh, Romans 1 verse 21 says, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculation. Their foolish heart was dark and professing to be wise, they became fools. Thanklessness belongs to the unbelieving world, but thankfulness belongs to the believer. Over the years on this uh, Thanksgiving Eve, uh, we've looked at a number of reasons from a variety of different texts of scripture and why we should be thankful. But this week, as I was trying to think through this evening, I came upon these verses in my my reading, and I just, I just fell in love with them. I thought these are tremendous. This directly points us to the person of God, to his faithfulness, and again to his goodness. And so I thought we would consider them briefly. Uh, verse 22, again, uh, these, uh, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, his compassions never fail. They're new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. We probably quote those a lot during times of blessing in, in our life. And obviously, as we just sung just a few moments ago, these are the words that. Uh, uh, come from that, uh, or inspired that great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. So, so we normally th uh, say this or repeat this, uh, uh, these verses or sing that hymn when things are going positively for us and, and we praise God for all he has done for us. The question that I think needs to be asked in the context of the book of Lamentations is can we say these words or sing that hymn in times of great difficulty? The death of a loved one. When a child departs from the faith, when the baby is stillborn, when the pain of life breaks through and overwhelms us, 
can we still sing the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness? The answer is we should. We should be able to. We should be able to no matter what is happening, whether we're in good times or bad times. Because the great reality is that God is great in his faithfulness, what? Always. God is great in his faithfulness, always. God is great in his goodness, always. God is great in his faithfulness and great in his goodness, always. So he is faithful all of the time, and he is good all of the time. Even in times that are difficult, even in times when we are faithless, he remains faithful. And what I think is interesting in the context of the book of Lamentations, and and this current passage that I just read to you, there's absolutely nothing positive going on here whatsoever. This wasn't a time of rejoicing. This is a time when uh, Jerusalem is being destroyed, the Jews are being killed or captured, Nebuchadnezzar has taken them off into captivity in Babylon. It's time of tremendous uh, suffering because of the nation's sin and rebellion against God. The book of Lamentations, as you might be aware, is, was uh, written by the prophet Jeremiah. He writes as an eyewitness to the, or very soon after the Jerusalem's fall to Babylon in 586 B.C. The very title, Lamentations, comes from a translation of the, uh, of, of the Latin Vulgate, uh, the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, and, and uh, conveys the idea of loud cries. In fact, the Hebrew exclamation, eka means how, uh, in the, in the uh, context of dismay, how is kind of the idea. It's used a number of times, and it gives the, the book its Hebrew title, as the rabbis began early to call the book Loud Cries, or as our, we would understand it in the English, Lamentations. <clears throat> five chapters in total, and all five are um, really uh, uh, five chapters of a poem, five chapters that make up a eulogy or a funeral dirge, uh, each expression uh, a grief over the fall of Jerusalem. Uh, Lamentations mourns the loss, uh, the loss of a nation, the loss of a people, the loss of a, a way of life, etc. and so forth. If you want, you can just listen or you can turn back to the, to the first chapter as it starts out <clears throat> in Lamentations 1. It says, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. She's become like a widow who was once great among the nations. Uh, she who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer. Verse 2, she weeps bitterly in the night and her tears are on her cheeks. She has none, of, none to comfort her among all her lovers. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They've become her enemies. Judah's gone into exile under affliction and harsh servitude. She dwells among the nations, but she has found no rest. All her pursuers have overtaken her in the midst of distress. The roads of Zion are mourning because there's no, because no one comes to the appointed feasts. All her gates are desolate. Her priests are groaning. Her virgins uh, are afflicted, and she herself is bitter. Her adversaries, verse 5, have become her masters, her enemies, prosper for the Lord has caused her grief because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her little ones have gone away as captives before the adversary. Verse 8 says, Jerusalem sinned greatly, therefore she has become an unclean thing. All who honored her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Even she herself groans and turns away. Verse 18 says, the Lord is righteous for I have rebelled against his command. Hear now, O people, and behold my pain. My virgins and my young have gone into captivity. I mean, it's just an absolute 
dirge. It's, it's, a, it's a mourning, five chapters of it. Uh, the people of the nation of Israel love Jerusalem more than anything else. The temple's there. Uh, that's where God is worshipped. And yet Jerusalem finds itself at the moment under siege uh, by the Babylonians because of their sin and rebellion. Uh, Lamentations 3 verse 39 says, Why should any living mortal or any man offer complaint in view of his sins? Let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. So again, the Lord repeatedly warned uh, through the prophets uh, because of the spiritual adultery of the nation uh, and, and forgetting God the judgment was coming. He warned through Isaiah, he warned through Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Jer- Jeremiah spoke for 40 years uh, of uh, that coming reality. Uh, 19 years before the time this is written, Daniel uh, was first of the finest men of Judah to be taken away into Babylonian captivity. At the time, Zedekiah, Zedekiah has been made king uh, by, uh, of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he wants to overthrow uh, Nebuchadnezzar. He wants to join with e- Egypt to overthrow uh, his Babylonian o- overlords. But God warns Zedekiah through the prophet Jeremiah not to do that and not to join forces with the Egyptians. Uh, but Zedekiah is disobedient. He's disobedient. He does what is evil in the sight of the Lord. He will not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who's speaking for the Lord. As a result, he's taken captive. Uh, the king of Babylon slaughters Zedekiah's sons before his eyes and then uh, all the nobles of Judah and then he gouges out his eyes. So that's the last thing he sees. He blinds Zedekiah. The last thing he sees is his sons being put to death. He is, uh, has a brass chain put through his nose and lip and then he's dragged off into captivity into Babylon. So it's somewhat of an understatement but things are awful. <laughs> things are terrible. The conditions of a besieged city, the besieged city of Jerusalem, are beyond imagination. Lamentation 4 verse 5 says, Those who ate delicacies are desolate in the streets. Those reared in purple embrace ash pits. Verse 9 of Lamentations 4 says, Better are those slain with the sword than those slain with hunger, for they pine away, stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. Verse 10 the hands of compassionate women boiled their own children. They became food for them because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. So again, Jeremiah has seen it all happen. Jerusalem's destroyed. The prophet's mood obviously is bleak. His words are dark. They're angry. His tone is one of total despair. Again, the entirety of the book is a funeral dirge. Grieving over the loss of the people, grieving over the loss of the temple, grieving over uh, the loss of the city. Whereas the book of Job is the classic book dealing with personal suffering, the book of Lamentations really is the classic book dealing with national suffering. In fact, someone has written this. The author says, after our great national trauma of September 11th, 2001, when the towers fell, so many died and the goodness of the future was called into question. Many Christians' communities in their hurt and sorrow and despair turned for solace and guidance to an ancient rather, and rather obscure book of the Bible, Lamentations. The writer says, In this book we journey to the dark, dusty, and despairing corners of human hearts in those times in our collective experience that we would rather forget or avoid. Yet he says, As a people of faith, we believe that our God gives us the resources to help us Refrain from avoiding, refrain from avoiding or denying the pain and the tragedy. We can grieve, we can cry out. Sometimes we may even clench our fist and cry out, "Why?" Under the conviction that our God cares for us and loves us enough to speak to us even in tragedy. 
He says, how is, how is it possible for people like us, so skilled in putting on a happy face, even in the worst circumstances, so desirous of cheap consolation? How is it possible that we can stare tragedy in the face and tell the truth about it? The answer, he says, is because of the Christian believes that on the cross, Jesus gave a powerful answer to the questions proposed by, the book, by this book of the Bible. In the midst of the most desperate lamentation and mourning the worst tragedy, our God is there and he is what? With us. Right? He is with us. He, he's there in the midst of the tragedy. So that's Lamentations 3. That's the introduction to the Lamentations 3. It's really a, 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 a word about our God who is there. A God who is with us what? Always. Even in times of great tragedy on a personal level, national, international level. So again, Lamentations 3 declared that our God provides us hope. He is the person of hope, the source of hope in the, in the midst of hopelessness. He's our light when everything else around us is in darkness. He is the way when we cannot find a way. He is the reason for our living when we'd rather give up. Now, if Jeremiah would have remained focused on his horrific circumstances uh, that he was going through and everything else is going on around him, his despair would have only grown deeper. His grief would have continued to overwhelm him. Uh, his discouragement and lament would have grown. But in the midst of this downward cycle of discouragement, Jeremiah makes an intentional decision. He sets aside the circumstances of the moment in which he's living, and he makes an intentional decision to focus not on the circumstances around him, which again are bleak, awful. He makes an intentional decision to set his mind on the person of God. And likewise, so must we in, in times when we're in deep despair, times of hopelessness, times of negative circumstances in our life, when those things around us that seem out of control, that drive us to despair, uh, seem to attempt to try to shipwreck our faith. The, the answer is we need to look up. We need to look up and we need to remember God and we need to remember that God is faithful. God is faithful. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God and a faithful God who keeps his covenant. And his loving kindness to thousands, generation of those who love him and keep his commandments. 2 Corinthians 1, 18, God is faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, faithful is he who calls you. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, the Lord is faithful. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our, of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We need to look up. We need to remember that God is faithful always. God is great in his faithfulness, exactly as we've just sung. So look here at Lamentations 3, verse 17. I'll start there. It says, my soul has rejected has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. So I say my strength has perished, and so my hope from the Lord. Verse 9, remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. Or some translations, I think, say gall. Now, wormwood's a bitter plant. <clears throat> so the idea here is what he's saying. Look, is my circumstances in life, the, lot, the circumstances for the prophet of Jeremiah at the moment, they're just like a horrible, bitter taste in his mouth. It's hard to swallow. Verse 20 says, surely my soul remembers uh, continually, I think the ESV adds, and is bowed down within me. 
NIV says, my soul is downcast within me. Uh, King James says, my soul is humbled. Uh, New King James, my soul still remembers and sinks within me. The New Living Translation says, I will never forget this awful time. I grieve over my loss. So here again, in the time of uh, terrible circumstances, uh, Jeremiah is crushed, he's confused, he's bitter, bewildered, hopeless, humiliated, he's angry, in despair. And in the darkest of hours, that's when light shines the most brightly. In the lowest of valleys, that's when we've been taken to the highest of, of, of mountain peaks if we turn away from our circumstances, if we turn away from our hopelessness and our despair, our problems, and we look to God, the God who is faithful always, then in the midst of those problems, we can have hope. When we confront ourselves with the truth of the word of God, when we confront ourselves with the truth of the nature and the character of God, when we speak to ourselves the truth concerning who God is versus listening to the emotions of our fallen hearts and the despair of our circumstances, then we can have great hope. So again, in the midst of difficulties, and we can turn from the times of great despair and discouragement, even depression that is all around us, in times like that, we can trust and cling to the person of God and his character, his nature. Because biblically, our hope's not based on what we see or how we feel or the circumstances around us. Biblically, our hope is always based on what we know to be true about the person and nature of our God. Our hope is based on him. So here, all of a sudden, the, the whole tone, the tenor of the lament is going to change. And Jeremiah is going to make an intentional choice to look up. He's going to take, uh, make a choice to look to the truth. He's going to choose to remember God. He's going to remember when God was uh, uh, kind and good to him, the God of grace and mercy. He's going to focus on the character and the nature of God, the faithfulness of God, even when I'm quite sure he probably didn't feel like it. In the midst of horrific circumstances that are all around him. Verse 21. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Right? The same thing is true about us. And when we focus on God, we can have hope. Hope can begin to be restored. When we continue to look on our circumstances, we just continue to drop deeper and deeper into despair. But this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. He's making an intentional decision. And then in verse, 40, uh, verse 22, there are four phrases that I think raise important questions and four questions that need to be answered and we need to hold on to those answers. Question number one that comes out of verse 22 is, why does God not destroy me? Why does God not destroy me? Now you go, that's kind of a crazy question. Well, it's really not. It's not even a theoretical question. It's a real question. Why doesn't God destroy us? Right? It's a reasonable question. And the fact that God is absolutely, utterly holy and we are absolutely, utterly what? Sinful. Why, God, why doesn't God destroy us? Why does God continue to allow us to live? Now, life, as we know, is full of a multitude of uncertainties. Uh, there's a very thin line between a disaster and prosperity, between joy and sorrow, laughter, tears, a life and death. The car in front of you suddenly swerves. Your brakes give out. Train jumps the tracks. Uh, some kind of electrical malfunction in the plane and the whole thing stops working at 30,000 feet. A t tiny virus enters your body. Certain cells in your body all of a sudden become rogue and cancerous. 
the reality, the reality of life is none of us are in control of our life. None of us are in control of our destinies. And life's full of all kinds of situations and circumstances that could cause us either to end up in the hospital bed or on our way to the morgue. So why is it that we are alive today? Why is it that we're alive and many of us around us, many people in this world today have died? And the answer Jeremiah gives is in verse 22. He says, the answer to that question is the Lord's loving kindness and deeds never cease. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. The NIV says it like this, because the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. So Jeremiah says God has a great love for us. Again, that's why we're not consumed. The Lord's loving kindness, hased, uh, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, mercy. Why does God not destroy us? Because of his steadfast love, his loyal love. Because of his mercy, his grace in my life and your life. He loves, with a lo- loves us with a love that will not let us go. Because his love for us doesn't depend on us. It depends on him. So Jeremiah realizes in this situation where things are pretty bleak, as bad as things are at the moment, he knew that ultimately God would stick with his chosen people, the nation of Israel, because he loved them. Nothing they could do in their rebellion and sin could cause God to ultimately break his promises to them because God is faithful to his word. Now, you can just sit there and listen, or you can follow me along if you want, but turn back to Jeremiah chapter 31 if you'd like to follow. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. This is a tremendous portion of Scripture. Jeremiah 31, 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their forefathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them and on their heart. Uh, I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people." And they shall not teach again each man his neighbor, each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Verse 35. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon, and the stars by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord, is the, uh, the Lord of hosts is his name. Verse 36, if this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens can be measured and the foundations of the earth search below, then I will also cast off all all of the offspring of Israel for all they have done, declares the Lord. Now the truth is God's faithful even when we're not faithful. And Jeremiah knew that. Jeremiah knew that God was faithful even when the nation is unfaithful. And Jeremiah knew that God chose to love the nation of Israel because God chose to love the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy 7, 7, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you are more in number than any of the peoples. You are the fewest of all the peoples, but the Lord loved you and kept his oath, which he swore to your forefathers. The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. God promised to love them 
and nothing they could do could cause him to break his word or break his promises to them. In fact, Psalm 89 verse 31 says, if they violate my statute and do not keep my commandments, then I will visit their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes, but I will not break off my loving kindness from him nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter my utterance of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever, and his throne is the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, and the witness of the sky is faithful. And then it says Selah, which I think personally means, what do you think of that? What do you think of that? <clears throat> that God, God is faithful, and he's always faithful to his word. And that's a great <clears throat> encouragement to us, right? <clears throat> because that, that, that reality of the faithful love of the person of God is applicable in our lives. <clears throat> because stop and think about God choosing to love us. Romans 5, 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love towards us in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hmm. God chose to love us while we were yet sinners. He didn't wait for us to get it all together. He didn't wait for us to get it get all cleaned up. He loved us while we were yet sinners. Ephesians 4, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Just as he chose us in him, in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. God chose to love us while we were yet sinners. God loved us before the foundation of the world. Therefore, his love for us is not based on our deeds or our actions. His love for us is based on him and his grace alone. He doesn't stop loving us because of our sin. Because even while we were yet sinners, his grace reached into our life. His grace saved us. His grace keeps us saved. Even when we fail. And even when these bodies die, that same grace is going to take us all the way to heaven. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that nothing shall ever separate us from the love of God nor from the love of Christ. So as bad as things were at the moment, and Jeremiah knows they're bad, <clears throat> he says the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. Or again in the NIV, because the Lord's great love we're not consumed. Jeremiah realized as bad as things were at the moment, if it weren't for God, things would be even worse. And again, the same thing is true for us on a personal level. Whatever is going on, as bad as things may be in our life, for us, in our life, around us, no matter how bad things are in a fallen world, they'd be much worse without God. And I think in our humanness, we tend to forget that. We don't think on that as much as we ought to, or rightly, or often enough, on the grace of God in our own lives. Because I think without question, the, thing, the, the one issue that separates biblical Christianity from all the world's religions and the reason that we have hope is that our God is a God of grace. Amen? He's a God of grace. He's a God of kindness, compassion, infinite love and mercy. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. It's because of the Lord's great love that we're not consumed. Second question. How do we know? How do we know that God's going to keep on loving us? Well, look at verse 22. It goes on. It says, For his compassions never fail. The Lord's loving kindness or his steadfast love indeed never ceases. For his compassions, and note carefully it's in the plural, 
His mercies, it says in the ESV, they never fail. So the compassions of God, again, they're in the plural because his mercies are great. His mercies are boundless. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, he gives us more grace. Now John 1, verse 16 speaks of grace upon grace. Someone has written this. He says, God's compassions are plural, excuse me, because his mercy is intense and limitless. It comes in rolling waves from the very presence of God. The rivers of mercy run fully and constantly, and they never run dry. His compassions never fail. It's interesting that word compassions come from a Hebrew word that means womb, W-O-M-B, womb. It's a, it's a, it's the idea of the word of a gentle feeling, a concern, a tender love. It really is the, the, the tenderness of a love of a mother, like a, a womb, a baby being safe in the womb. So the word compassions literally means to be moved with a heart of love for another. Again, it's God's compassions. His mercies never come to an end. His compassions for his people emanate from deep within inside him, and it floods over in our lives, and he's moved in his heart when he thinks about us who belong to him. Third question. When is God going give to me, give me what I need? When is God going to give me what I need? The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. Verse 23 is the answer. They are what? New every morning. New every morning. Here's hope for you who struggle with anxiety and weariness. They're new every morning. God's compassions, God's mercies are new each and every day. Think, back in, think about back in the Old Testament, the book of uh, uh, Exodus chapter 16, the nation of Israel are wandering through the uh, desert of Sinai there in the wilderness. They just crossed the Red Sea. They've well, just crossed the Red Sea. They've seen the, the miraculous work of God in their life, <laughs> causing them to escape the nation of Egypt, and they get through the Red Sea, and then they start doing what? Complaining. Grumbling. Right in the middle of the desert, they start saying, why did you bring us out here to die? At least if we stayed back in Egypt, boy, we'd have all kinds of food to eat back there, right? And then God provides for them food. Numbers 11, verse 31 says, God sends quail. Birds are three feet deep everywhere around, every direction. In the morning, the Jews go outside and they find dew, D-E-W, they find dew on the ground. And that dew, as it disappears, they begin to find wafers that taste like crackers with honey. It's called what? Manna. And God instructs the nation of Israel very specifically to go out and get as much as they need for themselves and for their family, but not to get more than they need for that day. Don't get any more than they need for the day. If you get more than you need for the day, God says, look, it's going to rot. I'm going to send maggots. They're going to infest uh, the manna. And that's exactly what happened for people who tried to take more than they needed for that day. They ended up with worm-infested, rotting mess. And God sent to the nation of Israel each and every day, except for the Sabbath, manna. He promised that it would never run out. He was trying to teach his people to trust him, what? Daily. For his provision. Which again, I think for us and for Israel, we don't, tells us, we don't have to live on yesterday's blessings, right? God provides us mercies we need each and every day, whatever the situation, trial, circumstance, difficulty is in our life. Each and every day, God provides. Each and every day, he provided manna for the nation. Each and every day, he provides 
for us what we need for the troubles of the moment. The Lord's loving kindness and deeds never cease. His compassions never fail, for they are new every morning. So that means that the Lord's blessings are always on time, and they're never early or they are never late. They're right on time. The mercies and compassion of God, again, new every morning. One writer said this. He says, today's mercies are for today's burdens. Tomorrow's mercies will be for tomorrow's problems. Truth is, none of us knows about the future, right? None of us knows what's going to happen, but God does. None of us knows what our health is going to be like tomorrow, but God does. None of us knows what's going to happen to our children tomorrow, but God does. No, no one knows what's going to happen one year or two years or five years down the road, but God does. So again, the mercies of God in our life is compassions never cease, and they are what? New every morning. He meets our needs always. He's promised to do that through his word. So again, when is God going to give us what we need? Answer, each and every morning. So I'm pretty much convinced this is what happened. Jeremiah rose one morning after he made the decision to look up. And he looked up and he saw the sun. He noticed that the moon was in the sky uh, the night before. He knew that fixed order was still there. Therefore, he knew he had what? Hope. He had hope. Because the fixed order remained, that means the word of God is true. So again, he knew as bad as things were at the moment that God would not utterly forsake him nor utterly forsake uh, the, the nation of Israel. And he knew that because of the word of God. He knew that because of the word of God, and he knew that God is faithful to his word, that Israel would never cease from being a nation before him forever because of the love of God for the people of the nation of Israel. Again, verse 36 of Jeremiah 31, if you're still there, it says, If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured, if the foundation of the earth search out, then I will cast off the offspring of the nation of Israel, all that they've done, for all they've done, declared the Lord. But again, back to the Psalm 89 passage. It says, if they, if they, they don't keep my commandments, if they violate my statutes, I'll bring transgression with the rod. But I'll not break off my loving kindness or deal falsely with my faithfulness. My covenant I will not break nor utter my, all I, uh, 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 alter the utterance of my lips. Once I've sworn by my holiness uh, to, to David, I will not lie to him. God keeps his word. God is faithful. And, and he's the person we need to look to always and trust what his word says. In fact, the Jeremiah 31 passage goes on in verse 38. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When the city shall be rebuilt for the, Lord's, uh, for, for the Lord from the tower of Hanel to the corner of a gate, the measuring line shall go out further straight ahead to the hill of Gareb. Then it will go to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate towards the east shall be holy to the Lord it shall not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever. Again, Jeremiah knew as bad as things were at the moment. Days of peace and prosperity were coming for the nation of Israel. Days of restoration were coming for the nation of Israel because God said they were. God is faithful to his word. So again, back to Lamentations. It says, the Lord's loving kindness is indeed never ceases. Uh, his compassions never fail. Verse 23, again, they're new every morning. 
So each and every day, God's mercies, compassions are, are in our life. When we wake up, when God allows us to wake up, when God allows us to take another day and another breath in his world, we should praise him. We should thank him. Psalm 92.1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and sing praises to your name, Almost High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning, your faithfulness by night. Last question. What hope do we have for the future? Now, the second half of the verse 23 gives the answer. What hope do we have for the future? The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Here's the answer. What is it? Great is thy faithfulness. What hope do we have for the future of the person of God? So again, whatever struggles or difficulties or heartaches we're going through now or going to go through, in a fallen world, we can get caught up in those things we can be taken out by the circumstances around us, or we can focus our attention on the nature and character of our God who is faithful always. And focus our attention on this God who is faithful always and this God who never changes, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one who can be trusted, the one who has loved us with an eternal love, and in time, he's promised to never leave us or forsake us. The one who has promised to never allow anything to separate us from his love through the person of Jesus Christ. So when difficulties and trials and tribulations come in our life, we can listen to the voice of our fallen hearts and say, no one cares and there is no hope. Or we can turn our attention to the faithful one. Again, the one who's demonstrated his great eternal love for us again in time by sending his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to stand in our place. We can listen to ourselves or we can speak truth to ourselves. What we desperately need to hear is the truth. And what we desperately need not to focus on is the temporal. We need to focus on the eternal one, the faithful one, the sovereign one, the one who's in control of all things. The one who at great personal cost has won our eternal salvation by his great love through the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now when we say that and we realize that reality, I think what we really have to get to is to realize the greater and the lesser. If God has done the greater thing for us already, that is he has secured our eternal salvation by reconciling us to himself through the shed blood of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If he's done the greater thing, then most certainly he can do the lesser thing. That is to be there, to be an encouragement and help to us, to care for us, whatever our temporal problems are that we're going through in a fallen world, and there are many. So again, just like Jeremiah, we need to stop in the midst of the trials and circumstances and situations, in the midst of our trouble, reset our focus upward and thank God and thank him often and thank him also, all, always uh, because he's faithful, right? Thanks be to God because he's the faithful one. Psalm 106 verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his loving kindness, his said, his mercy, his steadfast love is everlasting. Psalm 107 verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness, same word, his, is everlasting. It's repeated five times in that psalm. 
In fact, you go to Psalm 136, and, and, and it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love and kindness is everlasting. And 26 times in Psalm 136, that phrase is repeated over and over again. His loving kindness is everlasting. His ever loving kindness is everlasting. His, his loving kindness is everlasting. 26 times. So that we would understand that his loving kindness is everlasting because he's the faithful one. His mercy, his loving kindness endures forever. So why doesn't God destroy me? Because of the Lord's great love. We're not consumed, uh, Jeremiah says. How do we know that God's going to keep loving me? Because his compassions never fail. When is God going to give me what I need? Answered new every morning. What hope do we have in the future? Great is thy faithfulness. He says, this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says the Lord. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to those who seek him. Isn't that encouraging? Out of a discouraging book, <laughs> we can find encouragement when we look up. We keep looking at our circumstances and situations. We're just going to keep being drugged down deeper and deeper.